So this week I'm going to be dealing with q and I'm going to be talking about um, answering your questions about anything to do with freelancing. This is absolutely my favourite thing to do because I think I can really deliver value and uh, there's a good enough of variety to keep me intrigued. So thank you for your questions. I will get on with it now. Okay, so this week we're doing Q&A and we're going to start with Emma's question, which is what is your tried and tested process for launching a new service? So um, funny enough, Emma, you're kind of probably you've experienced this already, but when it comes to launching a new service, um, this is always tricky because I think it's quite complicated. But essentially, when I wanted to launch um, kind of what education is, it was originally going to be a branding course. I'd had a lot of questions on Instagram about sort of design tips, you know, colors and typefaces and bits and bobs. So I thought, OK, there's obviously appetite for that. So I did. Um, what Amy Porterfield calls the course calls, which is part of her. Um, she's got a very good course building course, the irony. Um, but as part of that, you do these course calls where you phone up and you speak to people who have generously given their time to find out what do they want. And Emma was kind enough to be one of those people. And what I realized was when I spoke to everyone for about 10 hours, nobody wanted to learn about branding, but everyone wanted to learn how to get more clients. So that totally changed what I was going to do. And if I had gone ahead and, you know, made the branding course, it would have been okay. But well, the problem I would have had was I would have spent so much time making it. And then I've got to market something which I've already made. And if it's not right, I've got to change it. So I'm doing it backwards. So with all these things, I would always say, ask people, find out if there's a demand for it before you try and sell it. And so the one way to do that, I would start with Q&A. I would start to ask people start you know broad how can i help you what are you struggling with and then when you see like um more consistent replies around a theme so you might be like okay so what's the one thing about branding that you need help with or what's your number one struggle when it comes to photography or whatever that might be and you're you're drilling down now and you're getting to the stage where there'll be a few core people who keep asking or keep contributing at least and those are the ones i would go back to and ask for like could i jump on a call because I want to develop a product that could help you but I need to know I can build it right so that's the first thing I would ask those people secondly I would probably test them by putting out content around what people are asking for and what you're interested in so another good way is to create a lead magnet that you advertise and see how many people sign up for it so I remember a couple of years ago I did the social media playbook and that was really popular and people loved it so what I could have done but I didn't do foolishly was I should have then built upon that and started to create a social media course. But the thing is, it's always got to have a through line. So whatever you're thinking of starting or creating will always have a through line and how you advertise it and what the lead magnet is, has got to be directly related because it will attract people who are interested in what you're selling. So if you create a lead magnet, see how popular it is, or you say, I'm going to be launching this kind of service. There's a wait list sign up here. By having a lead magnet or a waiting list, you can determine how popular this is before you commit to doing anything. I know a lot of people are kind of, it's like if before you sell stuff on eBay, you just list it without having the products and then you take away the listing and you cancel it, which is pretty shitty. But the, the sentiment's the same. You're testing the market to see if there's any demand. And the best way to do that is to create lead magnets based around real problems that people are having 
and then to talk to them on a deeper level to find out what the specifics are and ask questions like, what would you want me to create? How much would you pay for it? What's the biggest struggle? All that is fantastic evidence to kind of start. And then the key is just to kind of start and try and make it low maintenance and easy to do. Um, like if I was doing strategy workshops for my business, I would start by offering them for free to people I knew. And then I would gather testimonials and say what worked, what didn't. And then I would sort of refine the course uh, or the workshop or the procedure. And then I would add the testimonials. So I would do it for free for the first five to 10 people. And then that would be my kind of validation and improving the service. And then I'd market that service and see, and I'd start charging for like the 11th person. And I'd start low. And again, with every person who inquired, I'd put the price up a little bit until I found the market threshold. And so it's always got to be, You've got to start with the guinea pig and i believe you've got to start with market of people who are genuinely interested who'll give you honest feedback and it's better to know in the beginning whether this is rubbish or not so you don't go down that rabbit hole and invest loads of time building something that nobody wants so that's my answer is kind of test the water by asking questions and inviting people to sort of beta courses or beta equivalents that are free so that you can gather testimonials and refine what you're offering hope that helps okay Sarah's got a question. What is your workflow like? Could you walk us through your brainstorming process on a design job? I wish I could, but uh, this is a tricky one. It's a great question, Sarah. So thank you. But it's kind of the tricky bit is this. The creative process is so random. So it's really hard to kind of automate or structure that. But I can certainly give you an insight. So generally, if you look at my workflow, so as a rule, when you've got the clients on, I'm very keen to have the processes in place to make sure I tick all the boxes. So when it comes to onboarding, I use Basecamp and I developed a to-do list, which my project manager will go through. And this will include making sure we have everything we need before the project starts. So this might be um, having a questionnaire sent so we can help build the brief or a meeting to go through what we're going to do for the brief, um, a little welcome gift or the contracts or the documents. All of that is really important. So you tick all the boxes. You dot all the I's, you cross all the T's before you start. Then generally, I will look to kind of um, be quite broad. And I find that the inspiration, so to speak, or what I'm thinking about is I have to fill my brain with lots of stimulus. And the stimulus will come from the brief, which is why if you're doing the brief, it's really important you're active in that because you can ask lots of questions and get lots of insight. And the client might say something which strikes a chord with you. And often when we are working briefs in advertising, you would get be getting ideas as the brief was being presented to you. So that's always really useful. So you have the brief and you're able to ask the client and get loads of information and a deeper understanding. With all these things, you, the most important elements are always the customers because it's whatever you're creating has to appeal to their customers and what the client's real business objectives are. And this is a case of you need to be digging deeper to find out what they really want to achieve so you can provide something meaningful to them that helps them but is also going to be bought by their customers because they like it. So that's understanding the business motivations behind any project is massive because without that, you can't develop an effective strategy. And without a strategy, it all becomes hit and miss. You're taking away, you're lowering your percentage of delivering a successful project. And delivering successful projects is how you put your prices up and you get better work. So when that's all done and I've got a great brief, I tend to look for what's the stimulus. So this is gathering research by reading up on the topic. It's if I've got the capacity, it's going to interview clients um, and stakeholders within the business. Again, that's very time consuming, so I don't always do that. 
But if I feel it's a big enough job and I can get that insight, that's really invaluable. Um, and I'm gathering all of this. The next part is to kind of take all this information and then try and cross pollinate it with other things to get more unusual lateral ideas. So I would do activities that would help me go into like what they call a flow state. And Joanna Gaval did a talk on the future about it's all to do with amplifying alpha brainwaves, I think. But it's we've all had it. It's that thing of you'll get ideas in the shower or while you're driving or while you're exercising or hoovering. And for me, the key is the low level activity focuses your conscious part of your brain and it allows the subconscious to be a bit more explorative. So the analogy I like, it's like a babysitter. If the baby or the kid being babysat wants to have fun, he's got to find a job for the babysitter to do to distract them long enough so that he can do something he shouldn't be doing. So this is what we try and do here. I, I will always do some sort of low level activity that doesn't involve much brain power and allow my thoughts to drift and brainstorm and kind of, you know, just think more differently. And then I try and capture it. And this might be like just recording notes or scribbling things down or typing it out. And I capture that moment. And then if I need more inspiration, I will talk to people about it because talking to people is really good, especially if they're going to ask you questions. And if after all that, I'm kind of going to look at, yeah, I'll look at Pinterest and, and other visual stimulus and perhaps watch documentaries on it and listen to podcasts. Not because I'm trying to nick something. And that's there's got to be a fine line. It's too easy to go to Pinterest, gather stuff which you like the look of, and then just do some sort of bastardized amalgamation of all of it. Whenever I go to Pinterest, I'm looking for certain things. So it might be a texture, a tone, a typeface, a composition, a layout. It's those kind of elements. So I'll just gather a big mood board. And that will always kind of, I'll keep coming back to that when I'm trying to create the ideas. So then generally, I take all of this crazy stimulus, all these questions, and I'll cross-pollinate them with what the client's objective is and maybe industry trends. And maybe that I'll flip it on its head. So I know that you can ask questions like, what wouldn't it be? Or how would it be if I was coming at it from another angle? So all these other things force my brain to think things a little bit differently. And I tend to go with, you can have the, your initial thoughts and sometimes you can strike gold because like it will just be like, as you get more experienced, you'll come up with your first thought and that will work. But I tend to think you kind of need to detox your brain of all that crap. It's a bit like when you're doing sport, you get your second wind. You need to kind of do your warm up and get tired and, you know, get the phlegm out and have a drink. And then, OK, first 20 minutes into the match, I've kind of found my pace and I can go again now. So then I'll start to push and do other things and try and think of other ways it could be interesting. And that is genuinely just the more stimulus I can get in my head and then the more activity I can do that allows my brain to sort of daydream. And then I will try and write down ideas and thoughts that I think could work. And then it's about holding those thoughts and ideas up against the initial strategy, which is what are we trying to achieve here? Because there's no point submitting an idea which is fun and interesting but will just fail. So, you know, that's where I'm kind of going, okay, I need to filter all these ideas and solutions through the lens of, is this going to work for their customers? Is this the right choice for their business? Is it going to help their goals? And then I would generally come down to sort of three to five areas that I like, and I would put them into what we would call a tissue meeting, which is where you, you present to the client a, a kind of vague outline of what the idea is with a bit of mood board reference 
for each route and they've got to be different and by doing that you're kind of forcing answers from the client you want them to say oh i love that i hate that or that could be interesting or i don't like that and you want to know where their head is at and ideally from that tissue meeting you want to go like okay so out of all these routes what's the one that you think is the most exciting or you want to push and pursue and once i know i haven't wasted my resources working up three routes to a quite finished sort of element quite finished look i can then double down and hammer down on that on that one route and really push and explore that knowing i'm in the right area and then from then it probably would be okay from this route we've got maybe three kind of looks that we would go with and a lot of it is like self-selecting and it's knowing what's right it's instinctively going no that shit that could be better or what do i need to fix that and that's when i would come back to things like pinterest and scan the board again and go what was it from this board that really got me excited in the first place maybe it was a unusual typeface combination like okay maybe i could try that and what you're trying to do is just reignite what made you passionate about that solution and try and bring that into it and then you will evolve it further so there's a great clip called everything is a remix and that just shows that we're all building ideas upon ideas upon ideas and it's hard to be completely original so i think the brain needs stimulus but you also need strategy and the combination is somewhere in that sweet spot between you're helping the client achieve their strategy with something which is interesting and engaging that's the sweet spot and as a rule when bert and i were first starting and advertising we would see these amazing creative guys and their three-stage rule for every campaign that, that we would show them was is it true first of all it's got to be rooted in truth it can't be some sort of ridiculous hyperbole nonsense is it new so is it uh yeah so is it, is it something that i've never seen before so first of all it had to be true it had to be something that I've never seen that's an interesting take on it, interesting angle. And can it you show it to me in a way I've never seen it? So it was the three concepts of tell me something I don't know that is true and then show it to me in a way I've never seen before. And that's so hard to do. But if you can try and aim for those kind of standards, it's going to really help you because it's a quality control thing. And so what we found was um, you would search for insights in the project which were unusual, which were attention grabbing. And because nobody had heard of them, or they were phrased in a different way, it'd be very different. And so that would be, it would be things like, so the campaigns that we remember were things like Kawasaki for motorcycles, and it'd be have a cool death. And again, this is not, these are ad slogans. And the other one was for Tampax, like for tampons, you're not pregnant, so party. And so it was, it was a flip on the conventional approach to making your period easier it was more like well you're not pregnant so why don't you go out and live your life which they're kind of moving into now and then like nicorette try smoking you can always give up it was this thing of there were quite irreverent edgy thoughts that were based in a truth about what the product was delivering and then the key was just to execute it in a way that i'd never seen before and so those things is kind of what i try and hold true as hard as that is so that would be my thing of like if i can try and push myself to come up with something which feels new and fresh Sure, it might be, I might go back to the Pinterest board after the project and go, oh, I can see where I was getting those elements from. But if my conscience is clear and I'm trying hard to create something original, then I don't give myself a hard time. So that's my extremely long-winded answer. But it's all about gather as much stimulus and in, in information in the beginning, develop an effective strategy to ground everything, and then explore those ideas by talking to other people about it. That's the big things, I'd say. And then maintain standards to really push those. And that's the big thing for me. Okay, Phoebe's got some questions for me. 
how do I effectively and gracefully tell a client they're wrong? Well, this is, I, I, again, it's kind of, this is a funny one. It's always tricky. I think, again, it's a little bit like um, the old kind of, there's a previous question I was just talking about, which is if the client is making decisions that I feel are too subjective, such as I don't like the color blue, or I don't like that name because it reminds me of an ex-partner or a dog, um, what you have to push back is you go, yeah, but ultimately, I'm not averse to saying this, but it doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter what the client thinks. The only people that matter are the customers. Because if the customers don't buy it, nothing, none of this is going to work. So what you want to go is remind them what the strategy is. What are we trying to achieve here? What has your research and information told you? Because if you're telling me that in research, your clients responded really well to the color green, for argument's sake, and you're going, I want to make it pink, then I would go back, well, yeah, but in your research, you told me this. So surely we don't want to ignore that. What you want to do is use their answers and the ammunition you gathered in the strategic process against them so that when they begin to stray away from something which is too subjective or not rooted in anything real, you can come back with evidence to support your decision making. And that's why whenever you're working on stuff and you're doing case studies, because you're putting a lot of thinking into your decisions, it's really important when you present them to articulate that thinking. Because if they go, why did you pick that typeface? And you're like, well, it looked cool. That's not good enough. You want to go, well, I picked it because I felt that this is a good choice because it's legible at small sizes. It's distinctive, but it's in the right sort of look and feel to appeal to our target demographic. You'll also find with the license, whatever it is, you can dive in really deep because that's what we do as, as creative people. We, we make hundreds of fast decisions all the time about, you know, what do we want this to be? What should that be? How is that going to go? Start telling the client because often, I mean, I used to pitch work. I would do all the work and then show them in one hit, ta-da, here's the finished thing, which is nuts. But I never had any pushback because it came in the form of like a 30 to 40 page case study. So I was always like, if you don't like it, I'll do it again. But because any questions they'd had had been kind of answered and they could see the depth of thinking, they were like, wow, you've thought about this far deeper than I have. have I? Yeah, I'm happy with it. And they loved the fact it was done. Do you know what I mean? That was the big thing. It was like, yeah, it's all done. Um, we don't, we've saved time. We haven't got to go through loads of revisions. So for me, you have to gather, like a lawyer, you gather information on your side to back up your point, and you have to rephrase the question in a way to the client to try and make it clear that their thoughts are subjective or not rooted in any sort of meaningful reason. So again, it's kind of, and Chris Doe, I, I did a business boot camp course all about client objections, and it was fantastic. And he talked about that was more like overcoming objections before they hire you. But again, it's just sort of you just rephrase it. So the one might be, and this is not the right, but he said, like, um, if someone said, oh, you're too small as a team, there's only three of you. The question would be is, do you believe that great work only comes from large companies? And they go, no, of course not. I go, okay, so why do you then believe that it's impossible for small companies to deliver great work? And they're going to go, well, of course it is. And to go, so, so this isn't a valid excuse for not picking us. So can you tell me a little bit more why, why a small team concerns you and maybe we can do something to fix it? And it's that conversation of just being quite analytical and logical, again, a bit like a lawyer. And again, But it's easy once you put the thought in, once you know the thinking and the theory behind it, it's easy because it's all in your head. So that's the big thing. So I would always say, 
if you want to push back against the client, you have to have evidence. And ideally, it's evidence they've already told you. So they're just contradicting themselves. Uh, let's say, how do you find creative inspiration when you're not feeling a design? Yeah, this is really tough. I would absolutely say just not bin it off, but just give up and do something else. And I've learned that now that there are times you need to push through to get things done. And there's a discipline in getting things done that aren't that fun. And if you can't outsource it to someone else to do, you have to just go, well, I'm going to push through and make it happen. Or I'm going to accept that I'm not in the mood anymore and it's not working for me. So I'm going to do something else and I'll come back to it later. And there is this kind of it's a bit like a buffet. The great thing about a buffet is if I'm having pizza, the mini pizzas, it's like, yeah, do you know, what? after three of these, I'm bored. So I'm going to switch to the ribs. And I'm going to switch to the salad and I'm going to switch back to the pizzas. And, and being able to dot around several things at once keeps it fresh and keeps you interested. So I would be very aware of your inner energy level. And when you go, oh, I've just had enough. Fine. Walk away. Bin it. Not bin it, but put it to one side for a bit and do something else. And that thing of just coming back to it later with a fresh perspective and, and a bit more awareness should you can use it like so when you're bored of that project, you can hop back onto this. And as long as you're, you know, sticking within deadlines and timelines, you should be fine. But I think to stay slogging away at a design that you've not interested in or fallen out of love with is a, is a mistake because it, you just begin to hate what you're doing. So as soon as you sense that you go, no, no, I'm done. Um, I'm going to move on to something else before I, you know, the, the whole familiarity breeds contempt. It's that thing of before I get annoyed with it. And then I hope when I come back to it, I've kind of got a bit more perspective to pursue it again. And then if I'm always looking for, again, I'd probably go back to kind of maybe not always Pinterest boards, but I'd look at other sort of other things to inspire me. And, and, and one area is great is Netflix, things like Chef's Table um, and that abstract series. You can always admire excellence in other people from other disciplines because it just forces you to go, I've got to go, go again. And therefore, I would watch those things, get inspired, come back to it, and then set really short deadlines. So I, if, I, if I wasn't feeling a design, I'd be like, okay, 20 minutes just to really nail this, and then I'm just going to leave it and move on and find something else, and then that's it. It's just cast aside. So I think you have to impose restrictions and stop working on things or just put super tight deadlines on things and just move around to keep it fresh if i'm honest i'd be really really i've always had that thing if you get bored of an idea just as it's going into production you're like oh now i've got to do this ad or i've got to do you know all this or have all these meetings and i don't really care anymore and that's the worst place to be you want to have a few options to stay fresh so that's that'd be my excuse there what's my favorite snack this was the toughest question i was sent it's really hard um what's my favorite snack it's probably a Snickers bar or those, um, it's that cinnamon bun thing again. It's like a really good cinnamon bun. It's amazing. Or too much Nutella on toast with a bit of butter. Great. This is why I'm not in as good a shape as I should be. Uh, but yeah, snacks, I'd probably go for like fruit pastels and a Snickers bar as standard. And then if I had a bit more time, a cinnamon bun is pretty special. And that's it. Yeah, sorry. Anyway, thank you for those questions, Phoebe. appreciate those. Ozzy's got a question. When starting work for a client as a freelancer and deciding on pricing your services, how do you proceed later and raise the price? So let's say you set an hourly rate. How do you ask for an increase on that hourly rate? Is it a price package, the, you know, the preferred way of getting paid, or is it a retainer? So, Ozzy, this is a great question. There's lots of layers to it. So I think what I would say is, as a rule, I would up my prices with every job that came in. Um, 
I never go on hourly pricing because I think it encourages too much scrutiny. I would always go on like a project rate. Uh, so it's like all included. And I would work out that rate and I would know. So I would always work out what are my basic costs of any job? So people have to hire um, meetings, petrol, travel, accommodation, tax, resources, all that kind of stuff. So I know what is the minimum I need to be charging for this type of project. And then I'd work out my markup on top of that. Once I know that, I can go into each project fairly open minded, saying, well, it's going to be a minimum of this and then whatever I can get on top. And it gives me a price I can't go below. So if I said uh, a rebrand job is going to be minimum eight grand and I say, well, it's it's going to be 10 and the client goes, we've only got six. I know I can go, well, I can't do it because eight is my absolute limit. and I'm losing money otherwise. So that helps. So I would say stay away from hourly. Put up your prices with every job you get. And if it's the same client, again, I would just have that thing of maybe after six months, say my prices are going up and just see what they say. It's, it's kind of it's kind of tricky, but I think you need to be consistently putting your prices up regularly. And as long as you're delivering, they'll stay around. Um, but then that always comes in. Don't do hourly. And every time you quote for a job, do it as like a one off job and then increase the quote every time, I would say based on the requirements and that's that's the thing so if it's the same client and they want you to keep doing similar work i would just quote every time because it's important to get that that habit of i send a new quote i send a new invoice i send a new contract the worst bit and i've been caught by this several times they keep adding extra work and they offer to pay you for it but i keep i've kept forgetting to send a new contract so therefore you get screwed over because when they won't pay for the work you haven't got a contract for it so the first thing is every new job should have a new quote for that job, you know, beginning to end. And again, quote, contract and all that stuff. And if they're difficult about that and they don't want to sign contracts, you don't want to work with them because they can't be trusted. So my advice would be um, don't do hourly because it's easier to increase your prices when it's um, like a package. Increase your prices with every job, quote with every new job and move on from there. And like I said, it's always this thing of you want to be putting your prices up slowly until the market says no. And that's where you hit a brick wall because people don't think you're worth it. And then from there, you can go, okay, what do I need to be able to be paid more? And that that's the big one there. So that would be my question there. Um, so I think those were the questions. So that was a half an hour Q&A. I hope that was useful. And as always, I'd love doing these Q&As. Please send your answers to me. I'm happy to, to ask them and answer them on podcasts. And I've got some cool interviews lined up, so there'll be more of those coming. So all I can say is thank you very much. I hope you found it useful. As always, I'd love to rate and review me in iTunes and share and subscribe to the podcast. It means the world to me. I want to get some real traction, get on some big guests. But to do that, I need your help. So all I would ask in return is that you share, like, comment, review. And uh, yeah, that's it. Thank you very much. Have a great day. Your love is rated X. That means get extra, extra. Thank you.